We are, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount together. The Sermon on the Mount introduces people to the way. Not just a way, but the way. The Sermon on the Mount is intended, I believe, to help people see God and His kingdom in a new way. Until that time, uh, traditions had been formed and religion had been built and folks understood the way to please God in one particular direction. And Jesus kind of shows up and He said, we got to turn all that upside down. You're, you're, in, you're in religion, but you've missed the way. And the entire sermon introduces, helps us understand how we can better relate to God, how we can be a part of his kingdom, how we can be in the way. Particularly, what we learn as we go through the Sermon of the, on the Mount is that the the kingdom of God is spiritual and internal. It's not external and religious. It's spiritual and internal. When Jesus is the king of our lives, then we are in his kingdom. But that's something that happens within. Righteousness exceeds has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Remember, that's what he said last week. It was such a strange thing to hear. Uh, It it hits us all wrong. But he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. What he was saying when when we saw that last week, what he was saying is think about the most religious people you know, the most righteous people. People, the, the rule keepers. Think of the, 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 the Pharisees, those who are the, the good guys that keep all the rules, and you've got to have a better righteousness than they do. Well, the people would have heard that, and it would have shocked them, and they would have said, that's impossible. How does that happen? And the essence of the issue is, you're right. That is impossible. In other words, You can't do enough to be good enough to be part of God's family. That's external. Doing is external. Instead, Jesus says, you got to have a righteousness that is better than external stuff. You have a righteousness from within, and that only comes when we trust in Jesus completely, we have a personal relationship with him, then what happens according to the Bible is our sin is forgiven and we are given Jesus' own righteousness. His perfection is accounted to our credit. That's amazing. That's the only way that we can be in the kingdom. And so when he said your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees, he set a new standard for those in the kingdom, an internal one instead of an external one. Theirs was about doing right. Ours is about being right. 
Jesus calls us to a righteousness that goes beyond legalism to loving. It goes beyond ritual to relationship. Beyond self to service. Beyond tradition to truth. It goes beyond the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. Jesus focuses on not on our actions, but our attitudes, not on our behavior, but on our belief, not on our conduct, but on our character, not on our deeds, but on our desires. Coach Cook spoke this morning at our breakfast, did an amazing job just kind of filling us in on some of the things that he's learned in his Christian pilgrimage. And man, I tell you what, that's one of the best ways to learn is vicariously. Let somebody else make all the mistakes and then teach me so I don't have to go through some of that, right? Wow, amazing some of the things that he included. One of which was actually a reference to something that, that they learned when they, when they were choosing the next king. All the, the kids lined up of this family we knew that the next king of the Jews was going to come out of this family. And they lined them all up. Here's the, here's the, the big, strong lumberjack. Here's the, here's the big, tough football player. Here's the brilliant, you know, scientist. They went through each one. Nope, 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 nope. None of these are the right one. There's got to be one left. Well, there's just little old David. He's out doing the, the chores. Bring in little old David who's out there doing the chores. And here's the king. And it was in that story that we learn in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's one of the things that Coach made reference to. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. A little bit later, in the Gospels, Jesus is, is talking to some of the religious folk who've been in church their whole lives. They're rule keepers. They're, they're ritual folks. And he, he said to them something shocking. He said, woe to you. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. It's so easy for us to become that. To focus on the way things look on the outside. You know, as I was sharing with the kids, I love Dr. Pepper stuff. And I could spend all day shining that beautiful, that beautiful can. And I mean, really, you know I'm being silly, obviously. But let's also be honest, that is the best looking soda can. It, think of the others, they're boring. This is gorgeous. By the way, a friend of mine, a friend of mine thought I wore maroon today in honor of the Aggies. This is not maroon, this is Dr. Pepper Red. <laughs> I could spend all day shining, all day protecting. While on the inside, for all I know, that's rancid, awful, yucky Pepsi. <laughs> you just, the inside 
is what makes the difference. But because the outside is what we can see, that's all we focus on. And so Jesus said, we got to flip that, guys. And he gives us in today's section of the Sermon on the Mount, today's text, he gives us four comparisons between the Pharisees' standard of righteousness, external, the way things look, the way we do, he compares that with Jesus' own standard of kingdom living, which is truth from within. He actually gave us six, but we're only going to look at four today. And let me, look at, let me show you those this morning, beginning in verse 21 of Matthew 5. Matthew 5 is where the Sermon on the Mount begins. And we've made our way to verse 21. And I just want to pretty quickly show you these four of the six comparisons between the Pharisees' standard of righteousness and Jesus' standard, which is an internal experience, internal reality. He does this by using a formula. He says, for each of these comparisons, he says, you have heard, but I say to you, you grew up hearing that this is the way things are supposed to look. But I say to you, there's something deeper that you need to be aware of. Let me show you. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Well, certainly in this first comparison of murder and anger, he, he refers to the sixth commandment. And they had indeed heard that you shall not kill, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But look at verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He says, you've heard not to kill somebody. Well, that's pretty obvious. But I'm saying that that action is based on something deeper that you need to be aware of. That it's based on that anger from within. It, before you take an action, you decide to take that action. And it's the decision that we've got to deal with. It's, it's the internal character that led you to the behavior that we need to take care of. So he says, you've heard not to kill people, duh. But we need to look deeper. Why would you even consider killing someone? It's because you've got an anger problem that you need to deal with. And so he says, but I say to you, verse 22 again, I say to you, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Gets into a little bit of hyperbole there where he, he's making a point, so he, he overstates it just a little bit. But, but the essence is still clear. It is murder. That's, that's a pretty low standard. Don't kill people, okay? That's, that's really pretty simple. What we need to do is look at the heart. And if in your heart you're holding anger 
and you're looking at somebody and you're saying, oh, you're, you're not important, you're, you're worthless, you're just foolish, then there's a, an internal problem in you that we've got to deal with to help them understand that and to, to uh, show them the importance of replacing that anger with proper attitudes. He gives two examples. He drives it home with these two examples. Look at verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. Two examples. One is you come to church to do the church thing. In this case, it was bringing that sacrifice to the altar. But you come to church to do the church thing every Sunday, and every Sunday you ignore the fact that you're carrying a grudge against somebody for the last 20 years because of something they said. He said, you know what? Just leave your sacrifices because it's the internal part that matters. You're showing up for church isn't fixing a problem that needs to be fixed. You go fix that problem, get right with people, fix the internal stuff, and then you'll be ready to come and worship in spirit and in truth. You're on your way to court. Why, you're going to have to just let the judge decide what's right and wrong when all the while you could get things right with that person on your own. Internalize that responsibility. Accept that responsibility. Understand that not killing people is pretty simple. But there's something underneath the desire to do that that all of us need to be aware of. And when we let Jesus be king of us on the inside, he sits on the throne of our hearts, then we're saying to him, you get to be in charge of my attitudes as well as my actions. Lord, fix me on the inside. He talked about murder and anger. Then he talked about adultery and lust. Look at verse 27. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Well, Again, that's a pretty low standard. We all understand that, you know, that that's not a good plan. That hurts everybody involved on one level or another every single time. Don't be fooled. It hurts everybody involved on some level every time. Don't be fooled. But that's easy for us to understand. Don't commit adultery. That's why it's one of the big ten. Because it's so, it's so messy and so harmful. But what he wants us to understand is that what led us to that behavior was a, a problem with our character. Our heart was out of tune with the king. And so he says in 28, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The problem was already there. Even, even, if you, even if you kept that fairly easy standard, I didn't commit adultery, 
No, but your heart sure wanted to. There's a heart problem. He drives us out of the, the simple external behavior and he says, let's be real about who you are. Sure, you didn't commit adultery. But you sure do th keep thinking about it on the inside. You, you, it's a secret. But you keep looking at her the wrong way. And you keep thinking about him the wrong way. And there's something wrong in your heart, folks. Jesus says, let's be real about who we are instead of just putting a show on the outside. And again, he uses two examples to, to, to help drive this home. Hyperboles, for sure. Hyperbole means an, an, an exaggeration to make a point. And he, he drives this home pretty, pretty strongly, doesn't he? Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown to hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. He's not literally saying, if you look at somebody wrong, tear out your eyeball. It's in hyperbole. But what he is saying is, if you got that heart problem where, where that lust is... is, is driving you and driving your thoughts and controlling you, then you need to make some sacrifices. You need to change some stuff. And I don't think it's a mistake that he addressed the eye and the hand. Those are the, the, the two things that get us in trouble with sexual sin, the easiest and the quickest. So he says, it's not the outward behavior. It's what led to that that's the problem. You got a heart problem it very well might be that you need to change some things in your life to get away from the things that are feeding that heart problem. He says this is the way. In the way, we do things differently. It's not about being religious. It's about being real with the king. He goes on to address divorce and marriage. Look at verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. To you and I, that may sound kind of strange. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. On the one hand, what, what's behind that is divorce was becoming very prevalent in Jesus, before Jesus' time, really. And what would happen is the Jewish man would just say, yeah, I'm done with you, and walk off. And the problem is, in that culture, the divorced woman now had nothing. No one to provide for her. No way to move forward. And so the Pharisees started teaching, you know, if you choose to leave her, Give her a certificate that says you left her. So now she at least has paperwork that she can use to get a job or to get help or to move forward. Their standard was pretty low. Their standard was, was really pretty low. If you're going to leave her, at least give her a piece of paper. Verse 32, Jesus says, but I say to you, 
that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He says, but I say to you that when you break the bonds of marriage, you break God's plan for marriage. He shows how God's law originally intended this to work is that we would protect and honor marriage. It's not about loopholes. It's not about finding the right way out, but it's about an internal commitment to God's plan. And so Jesus explains there are times when divorce is the the only option left. And that is when one of the partners has already basically committed divorce. Oh, no paper, no lawyer, whatever, but they've already broken the marriage. And once it's already broken, there's not much left for you to do. But he, he, he says there's, all of those issues come from the heart. They're heart issues that led to the problems. So let's address those heart issues so that it's not just so easy to change God's plan with a piece of paper. He goes on then to talk about oaths and the truth. In verse 33, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And when he's talking about swearing here, he's not talking about cussing. He says, when you, when, you, when you swear something, go on and do it. How many times have you heard someone say, swear to God? I swear to God. I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mama's grave. He, he says, you've heard people say that if you make those oaths, you swear that, you better go ahead and follow through. And Jesus says, that's the easy thing. There's nothing to that, keeping your word just because you, you said swear to God and you went ahead and did it. That's a low standard. What I want you to think about is why did you swear to God in the first place? Let's look at the heart. He says, but I say to you, verse 34, but I say to you, don't even take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. These are all the kinds of oaths they said back then. We say a stack of Bibles, they would say by Jerusalem. We say on my mama's grave, they would say by heaven. And then in verse 36, he says, do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, or you can't even make one hold on. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't live by oaths, swearing. I promise I will. Because you know what? If you have to swear on your mama's grave that what you're telling me is true, you have just announced that other things you say are not true. Right? When you have to say, I promise. You just told me that the other stuff you've been saying are lies. So instead, just tell the truth every time. Instead, always keep your word. 
That way you don't have to swear on anything else. It's just all based on your character. It's based on who you are. This is the way. Jesus says it's not about pretending or being religious or being pretty on the outside. It's all about your character and who you are on the inside. When those problems show up on the outside, it's always because there was a heart problem first. Let's find those things and let's deal with those first. He says, let your character mean something. I don't know if there are very many Mandalorian fans. If you watch the show, you may remember Queel. First introduced to us in, the, in earlier episodes of the first season, Queel is a, what was a fascinating character because he would tell you what he was going to tell you, and then he'd say, I have spoken, and walk off. I'm going to take care of you, Mandalorian. I have spoken, and he'd walk off. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. Be the kind of person who can say, I have spoken. That means something. Because my word means something. This is the kingdom way. Not impressing people with our religiosity. But making an impact on other people because we are real. Real. 